Welcome to Think Queerly. I'm your host, Darren Steele, helping people lead from their difference to make a difference. Think Queerly is a queer thought leadership podcast and a publication on Medium at thinkqueerly.com that dissects the status quo through critical analysis and thoughtful dialogue. On the show, I talk about the unique and necessary social and cultural contributions that LGBTQ people offer humanity, and I share my evolving ideas about how we can create a more loving and accepting society for all people. So if you haven't already done so, please head on over to my website at darrensteel.com, and the links will be in the show notes, and download my free book, Think Queerly, Meditations and Critical Reflections on Liberating Humanity. So today is a special Think Queerly leadership interview with Canadian gay conversion therapy survivor, Matt Ashcroft. And I want to do a bit of a longer introduction before we go into the interview that I did. So let me first define what conversion therapy is. And this is taken directly from the No Conversion Canada website. Conversion therapy is the false belief that diverse sexual orientations, gender identities, or gender expressions are illnesses that can be cured through treatment. This backwards belief is an abusive and harmful practice that preys on the LGBTQ2 plus community, and in particular LGBTQ2 plus children and youth. Conversion therapy does not change sexual orientation or gender identity. It is not effective. It has devastating impacts on its victims, anxiety, depression, self-hatred, suicide or suicidal thoughts, and many other psychological and social issues. Now, recently, uh, the Canadian federal government introduced legislation to criminalize conversion therapy in Canada, and this is uh, the beginning of the second week of March, which proposes five new criminal code offenses related to conversion therapy that include causing a minor to undergo conversion therapy, removing a minor from Canada to undergo conversion therapy abroad, causing a person to undergo conversion therapy against their will, profiting from providing conversion therapy, and advertising an offer to provide conversion therapy. Now, of course, to be expected, not everyone is happy about this legislation, and Bill C-8, an act to amend the criminal code, conversion therapy, had its first reading in the House of Commons in Ottawa, Canada on March 9th, 2020, and to be expected, a conservative religious organization, at least one that I came across, believes they have the religious freedom to change someone's sexual orientation. I'm going to read a quotation from a CBC article, and I cite that in the full post that you can go reference. Here's the quote. If the law is passed, Champagne, Quebec V, an anti-abortion organization said it would challenge the challenges in court in the name of religious freedom. If a person feels uncomfortable with their sexual orientation, who is the government to tell them they have no right to change their orientation? Organization President Georges Buscemi told Radio Canada in French. So, that quotation from Buscemi shows the imperfect logic of his argument and demonstrates the bigger challenge with people understanding why this legislation absolutely must pass. 
The government is not telling anyone that they don't have the right to change their orientation. So if you decide that you want to no longer be gay, you have that freedom as a Canadian. But the government is upholding a humane truth and proposing to make it illegal for someone else or an organization to try and change someone else's orientation. Now, the difference in the language of Bill C-8 is both subtle and important. Religious fundamentalists and, and any of those people who believe, that sounds terrible, any of those people, and anyone else who believe being anything other than straight gives them to the right to fuck with someone's mind, which they claim to be religious freedom, that is anything but freedom. And it is certainly not religious freedom. It's a criminal attack on a human being for being who they are. Now, instead, I see this as pure ignorance, arrogance, and prejudice that is all rolled into one big bag of absolute nasty. That's a technical term, by the way. Now, unfortunately, this is also an aspect of who we are as human beings. And the more you understand how the mind works and neuroscience, and you'll have picked up things I've talked about in other podcasts, but that is a subject for another day. So the problem with the religious mindset with respect to conversion therapy and not baking cakes for a gay or lesbian wedding is far bigger than religious freedom. If anyone needs conversion therapy for the betterment of society, in my opinion, it is the religious fundamentalist. It is that person who believes through years of pattering and behavioral modification and indoctrination that this one book that they call the Bible is the so-called word and law of what I consider to be a fictitious being in the sky. Believe in a God if you want to. That is your choice. But blind faith, which is reason without any questioning or any logic, blind faith that you seek protection for in the name of religious freedom is the core of conversion therapy and a catch-22 at best. Conversion therapy is an evil form of behavioral modification for no reason other than to force another person to blindly follow a secularized religion based in hegemonic, patriarchal privilege, power, and dominance. All right, so the rant is over. Let's get into speaking with someone who has had firsthand experience. And this is how I met my guest on the show today. Matt Ashcroft is a conversion therapy survivor. A bit of background on him. Matt is partnered with No Conversion Canada, which works to end conversion therapy in Canada. He's appeared on various media outlets speaking on this issue, including communicating with politicians to make Canada a safer place for LGBTQ2 plus people. Matt recently spoke at the House of Commons in Ottawa about introducing Bill C-8 protects queer and trans folks. Matt goes by the pronouns he, him, and he can be found on Twitter and Facebook as MattAsh89. All those links will be in the show notes. 
And I've got a video in the show notes of his speech that he gave at Parliament Hill, as well as a 30-minute documentary by Vice called Living Through Gay Conversion Therapy, which is a must-watch, as well as links to No Conversion Canada, It Gets Better Canada, and a lot of other resources. So, without anything more from me, this is a really fantastic episode. It's it's from the heart. It is so well-meaning, and it is just a reflection of someone who has been through a really challenging experience and has come out on the other side, certainly not without wounds, but who is truly leading queerly and making a difference with what he has learned for LGBTQ2 plus people and everyone else. All right, here's the interview with Matt Ashcroft. So today on Think Queerly, I'm going to be doing an interview with Matt Ashcroft, who is a conversion therapy survivor. Matt, welcome to the Think Queerly interview. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I've really been looking forward to doing this one for a number of reasons, and I think it's going to be your story as it comes out that will reveal that reason why. Um, and I'll just preface that, like, I really don't know you that much. Uh, I I can't remember maybe who followed whom on Facebook, but then I noticed some things that you were posting about being a conversion therapy survivor and, you know, the empathy and the compassion started to come out in me to see just reading how you wrote that it was very clear you were coming from a place of wow there's been like maybe for lack of a better word there's been a lot of damage and hurt and pain and shame and so many other emotions experienced and then what we'll talk about later in the show is that you got to go to uh Parliament Hill in Canada and and speak on behalf of a bill that's been tabled by the uh, governing liberals at the federal level to basically try and ban conversion therapy. So, yeah, let's let's start right at the beginning with you. Tell us about who you are, maybe where you were born, what what it was like for you growing up. Okay, so um, so hi, I'm Matt. Um, I. Uh, 30 years old. Uh, I currently reside in Toronto. Uh, before, I used to live in Belleville, Ontario. Um, now, I'm mixed race, so I'm Jamaican and English. Uh, Jamaican on my dad's side. Uh, my dad was not necessarily the most accepting, um, so I was I experienced a lot of bullying from my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, um, mostly because of wanting to get, a, uh, get some validation from him just make him make sure make him feel like i'm or make me feel like i matter to him mm-hmm. and so i did anything that i could do uh to get the love and the connection from my dad even though that it was like going against the grain um anybody would, anybody in a similar position would do anything for love mm-hmm. um i i turned I remember my dad, uh, I haven't actually said this in any other interview. Uh, I remember my dad uh, at a young age, at 15, was trying to get me to um, sleep with an escort, for example. And How old, how old were you when this was happening? 15. Okay. Um, uh, and he was making a joke. He was making it sound, sound like it was funny. And um, I just remember just feeling so much shame for that. And instead, I 
went and instead of being like promiscuous and like doing which there's no problem with that but being promiscuous and like going out and having sex with random women i went and did religion which Mm -hmm. kind of led me into a worse uh mental health space and And actually before we go quite down that road i'm kind of interested a little bit in some of how how were you showing up in in your own mind's eye to your father were you were you showing up as what might have made him think you were gay or was it just the way he was brought up and trying to raise you um i think it's uh, it's an interesting question uh, question because i i feel like it's a classic projection onto something that uh, it's just a theory of mine but i think it's a classic projection of something that he sees in himself and he's projecting it onto me because i am next again mm-hmm. and and so he just he just essentially just went into this mind frame of attacking somebody that is close to him because he did not want to, them to fall into those patterns because of uh, structural functionalism and because of the the patterns of how uh being jamaican and gay was not supposed to be a thing so there is definitely that background culturally but were you presenting as possibly being gay or were you effeminate no. in any way or no i i, be- okay. I believe i wasn't i believe it was okay. i believe it was a classic projection he i think he's seen yeah. something in me that i yeah. didn't see in myself at that time and so i was like kind of confused because like mm-hmm. i didn't view myself as anything really i just wanted to get accepted by my dad so that's yeah, interesting and it's like i you know i'm just interested to know because there could be the classic case of you know the the young boy presenting more feminine and then the, the father getting upset in this case or like you said um we all pick up subtle cues, even if we can't like pinpoint them and say, oh, you know, that, that person is this or that person is demonstrating that. It's just subtle. We somehow know within what we think is supposed to be right or status quo, that ain't right. <laughs> right. Well, so, it's interesting. You know, what- Sorry, it's interesting that you say that because like I probably uh, now to think about it, I would view myself as a sensitive person. Like I'm sensitive to environments around me. And so it could be that. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Culturally, he wanted uh, things to be tougher and uh, me to be tough. And that was the portrayal of what masculinity is supposed to be. And so okay. I grew up with that a lot. Well, that's interesting. I'm just sort of, you know, we we compare stories, right, of how we grew up or uh, how we became who we have become through the influence of our parents. And I, I feel like fortunate I didn't have, uh, I don't think I had a lot of projection from my parents. I feel like I had a lot of balance in what they brought to me in being both the masculine and the feminine and learning the so-called associated skills that a woman mm. would have and a man would have. So there wasn't any expectation put upon me, but I I can't really it's hard for me to imagine being in a family environment where the father is like, I got to toughen up my son that he's got to be like this, which it sounds like you were experiencing. Yeah. And it, and it's, and, it, and it's sad and it's unfortunate, but, um, uh, I gotten, well, I had to go on this journey, 
but I've gotten to a place where I look at the queer community and uh, the queer and trans community, and I'm really thankful that I'm in such a broad, diverse community that is able to love and accept me just as I am. Mm-hmm. And so at, at home, just sort of coming back to where I sort of um, interrupted the <laughs> the train of thought there, when you turn to religion instead of exploring sex and sexuality, was it a religious house, household that you were brought up in? Um, I was not. Um, so I did that. I did religion uh, essentially to escape and to try to impress him. Mm-hmm. And impressing him didn't do well. Um, so I turned to the internet. And so with with the internet, I um, if anybody went into the small town of Belleville, Ontario, Canada, for example, it is mm-hmm. small. There's not really a lot of uh, diversity. Uh, I felt alone a lot. And so I resulted to doing uh, Twitter and tiny chat to like connect with people online all across the United States. And um, where I'm still friends with them now, um, I was introduced to a religious leader who essentially told me to go into this, uh, uh, into this private Facebook group mm-hmm. where I found over 300 um, where I came out, where I came out to him and I found over 300 men that were, um, classified as gay, but they say that they have unwanted same sex attractions. And so they, uh, so I was, I was in a world where I was like, Oh, here are some people that, uh, here are some people that that are gay, but don't want to be gay. And here's some people that are trying to like, do this for God. And and I was, I was really religious at the time. And I was like trying to figure out how to navigate myself. So I thought that was a, an interesting experience to be in, but. And would you, uh, would it been Catholicism or something else at that time? I I was Pentecostal. So I was the jumping up and down and running and stuff. (laughs) But well, give us for people that don't know what that what Pentecostal is. Can you maybe summarize? I guess the the basic view, or if you happen to know the difference between perhaps Roman Catholic and that. Um. So Pentecost. So Pentecostal is essentially, um, uh, it's more charismatic in which, like, when you pray, you you speak in tongues and you yell and you scream and you run up and down the halls and. Um, it, that's a way that's their way to worship god it's more essentially like a, a black church ish but well I, i'm sorry but i'm just i'm visualizing like rupaul's drag we race at a pentecostal <laughs> ceremony i mean <laughs> running up and down and screaming <laughs> it seems like the perfect drama <laughs> can i get an amen up in here yeah amen <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was essentially um where that all happened and where that all started so in the online group i noticed that there was a lot of people that had mental health issues um uh they would freely talk about um how they were how they were masturbating or they're looking at uh pictures online or they were having sex uh, uh, without their wives knowing 
and um, how they were just sharing the group and there are people that would shame them to say that they're not trying hard enough and mm-hmm. like all this other stuff. And so I, I also seen and uh, had this promoted from, from a, uh, from a man that um, said that he had uh, been gay for 12 years and he found this and it changed his life. And so I was, I was interested in what it is, but I had no information going in about um, what that was, mm-hmm. but, th- but these people were saying that this camp was life-changing. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm, I'm initially thinking camping is not really my thing anyway. <laughs> like right. not, not the thing that I really want to do, but I was like, Okay, so if this is going to rebuild my relationship with my dad, I'm going to try it out. And so if we go back along the timeline, so you said around um, uh, 15 was when some of this started, um, when you were turning to religion, turning to God and trying to find a cure, so to speak. Um, how, how long were you uh, doing your searching on the internet before you then came across this uh, recommendation to go to the camp? So I, uh, so I turned to religion at 18. Okay. Um, and I, uh, I, 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 uh, saw this online program at 21 and I pulled Mm -hmm. the trigger at 23. So that's, that's the timeline. So, so before we before we get to uh, hitting twenty three and going to this camp, because this will probably be, be uh, more in depth and and really insightful and revealing conversation in that period from um, about eighteen to twenty three and your experiences online, I, I'm also to, I'm interested in like what that was like. You've told us a little bit, but how were you treated how did you respond or react to um the the types of conversation so i mean i'm i'm just trying to imagine being in that group where people are talking about masturbating and having sex and would that how would that have triggered you how did you respond to if there were any kind of like desires coming up like what a what a complex situation of so many emotions and shame going on at the same time yeah, it was weird. Like I like reflecting at that time, I was kind of annoyed because it was like it was like almost like people were just putting themselves into this state of depression. And it was like I I couldn't I I didn't add two and two together. The reason why that mm-hmm. they're depressed is because they're closeted and they want to come out of the closet and be themselves. I didn't add two and two together, but I was just like why are they so angry and depressed? Like what makes them so miserable? Mm-hmm. What, what are they hiding from that makes them so this? Like mm-hmm. something is not right with this. Yeah. And so I, I was, I didn't, I didn't get it for a long time. And then I seen just, I, I continuously saw more and more behaviors that I just didn't like. And it was, like telling on other people there would be people that were that were uh sending um half naked pictures uh, and putting in somebody else's timeline and and just like very immature behavior for people uh 
for people in their mid forties, early fifties that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just infant infantized behavior, uh, mm-hmm. for, for adults to be doing that to somebody else. So I don't know. It's fascinating. I mean, this would be the sort of thing we're having, you know, an actual psychologist that has perhaps um, worked with individuals who have who've been through this would have a lot to say. But I mean, at the most, you know, without having that kind of training, but at the most basic level, we look at how we behave as human beings. And, you know, ultimately, transformation re- requires us to have freedom. And if we feel like there's any kind of restriction in our life, we don't feel free. And that's where we put up defenses or we start acting out <laughs> and right. that I can, oh, I can just extrapolating the possibility I see is that this acting out these kinds of behaviors is like a defense mess mechanism because these men would like to be one way, but are being told that they can't by society, by the group that they're in, by their own beliefs. And the amount of conflict is, is, is emotionally complex. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's interesting that you use the word acting out because that's what they would say that what we were doing if we were doing anything sexual. Um, they would say that we're acting out and whether it's um, whether it's have, having full on sex with somebody or if it's masturbating, that is considered acting out. And so wow. you're basically forced to like be Mother Teresa ish. Mm-hmm. I think even Mother Teresa. Anyway, but. (laughs) She at least had a smile on her face most of the time because she was happy doing something that made her life fulfilling. Hey. (laughs) So, yeah. So it was, so it's, so these behaviors continued and Mm -hmm. um, I was wrestling, wrestling with myself a lot and I didn't understand a lot of things. And, um, I remember, uh, I, me pulling the trigger, uh, on going to the camp in May, 2014. Um, I, I met somebody that was in my town, uh, Mm -hmm. that was involved in this, uh, they call it ex gay stuff. So they Mm -hmm. call it, um, the reason why they call it ex gay is because, it's um you were gay and then you're no longer gay and yeah. i i was it's it's a nightmare but so i went so i so i went with somebody um paid my admissions fees um went with somebody traveled down to pennsylvania uh and uh we were planning this out and we were talking about uh uh going to this camp yeah. so when uh, when what was the name of the camp or is it still operating i guess yes it is it's um uh brothers road uh right. journey into manhood mm-hmm. um they used to be called people can change um ran by uh a guy named rich weiler and uh used to be david matheson uh, however david matheson does uh doesn't pra- uh, practice conversion therapy anymore as far as i know uh because uh, he came out last year, um, mm-hmm. so they no longer support uh, Brothers Road. No longer supports David Matheson. So, uh, in the camp, so I get to the camp, 
Um, and there's two guys that were asking, uh, what are you here for? Uh, we're here for this. So we were like, we're here for the journey to manhood week. And so we get in and there was tables. Um, we were all supposed to be signing a non-disclosure agreement. Um, and after we did the non-disclosure agreement, we went in and, um, I, I went I went outside uh, of this little camp because it's because they rented out a campground. So I went outside. I was walking this path and there was this big tall guy. His name was Alan. Um, walked to him with this large stick. Mm-hmm. And he says, why are you here? And I'm like, I didn't even know what to say. Like it was like mm-hmm. that, to- that, that totally like, rip something out of me and then i kept on walking into this path there was two other people that were saying some stuff i don't remember what they were saying like i Mm -hmm. i don't uh because it was just like an emotional blur and then the last guy his name is arthur the last guy he was like what is your what is your greatest fear Mm -hmm. and i said my greatest fear is not being able to have the love and the relationship with God anymore. And I just, and then I started crying and then he inhaled, took a breath of basically air. And then he was like, walk this way. So I mm-hmm. walk into this, um, this building, this building was, um, if you can imagine they had uh, trash bags taped to the windows um everybody was sitting in a circle everybody was in chairs um there was an indigenous guy that was running it his name was what's his name bruce um uh so he was at the front of the circle and then all the all the people that were participating in the camp were around the circle looking at this statue and this statue was something that you would get from like this craft shop mm-hmm. uh of like of like men hugging and then there's a candle in the center and we're supposed to be looking at that and reflecting on our shape so we just essentially just looked at this 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 candle for for, and looking at um guys that were around uh the um the candle and we were not allowed to say anything to anybody so I, I was I was like, what are we supposed to be doing? He was like, no talking. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I'm not supposed to be talking. Wow. So just looked at that, and then the weekend started. And how did it go on from there? I mean, I, I this reminds me of uh, I, I think I was 14 or 15 um, when I was in the Catholic Church. Still, we had something called Core Christ and Others Retreat C O R, and I participated in my first one and then i found out at the end of it that there are people that were in the background and these were all held at like catholic schools people in the background that were doing the cooking and the cleaning during the weekend didn't know they were there and that there were actually a few placed individuals within the group for the weekend who had been through this before but would help like guide conversation along in case it wasn't going in the direction that they wanted to manipulate your mind um and it you know we did stuff like that. We had that candle. We had that sharing. We had these 
emotional moments of really getting deep into whatever it was that could be further used to go deeper into one's belief in religion. Um, and in some ways, some of that is a blur to me, even though I did six of them. <laughs> but it wasn't conversion therapy. It was more like um, Catholic enhancing evangelicalism, if I guess we could probably say. Right. When I watched uh, the video, and I'm going to have this in the uh, the show notes, um, Living Through Gay Conversion Therapy that um, Vice put together, um, I, I saw similarities. I think this is sort of a classic format for this kind of like deep emotional bonding weekend, whether it be done in the positive to try and really help people open up and break down barriers or whether it's used as a tool to get into that emotional state from which you can potentially manipulate. And there's that, even if these people being interviewed sound like they've got good intentions still to me is either maniacal or highly misguided at best. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear more about whatever you remember that was most, that really stood out to you other, you know, past this first experience of, 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 uh, walking into the camp and being so affronted with these kinds of questions. Oh, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that I remember and there's a lot that I don't remember. Um, so in the vice video, they did, they did this, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk story. Um, so the Jack and the Beanstalk story essentially lasts the entire weekend. Um, so that story, uh, was essentially to say that, oh, you're going to climb this beanstalk and uh, you're going to find this girl and you're going to be happy and everything is going to be okay. So that was that lasted the entire week. So we had to listen mm -hmm. to that, that same music that you heard in the Vice documentary over and over again. And I was just like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm so tired. But anyway, so the, the highlights of me remembering things is there, uh, there was this one incident where I would have to share about my dad um, uh, because my dad, they believe that your parents made you gay. So it's an overprotective mother or an absent father, or it could mm. be even, um, it could be even more like um, you were, you were, you were uh, raped or sexually molested by a family member or a close, uh, close friend of the family member. And that would make you gay. Um, mm. They have like all, bunch of these different theories uh that it has no scientific back to them whatsoever mm -hmm. so i remember they they wanted me to get angry um this is backed up by uh uh rachel meadows interview by by a guy named richard cohen where he took uh where he took a pillow and smacked it with a tennis racket i did something similar where there was a punching bag uh, that was horizontally on the ground and I had a baseball bat and I started whacking the punching bag over and over screaming and yelling at my dad because I, because he may be gay because he didn't show me enough attention. And so I stopped that. Uh, I stopped. I remember the, the indigenous guy, uh, Bruce, he grabbed me behind the bat a uh, back, sorry, not behind the back, but behind the back. And he 
was holding me there and my my I remember my hands were frozen like I could not move my hands and I remember looking into the mirror and just crying um because I just expended so much negative energy on what what my what my dad has done and who my who my dad was he made me gay so like I hate him because of that and I was just like wow like that that's a lot mm-hmm. then I remember um and then I remember immediately afterwards they they uh did this nursery song in which um in which uh there was there was at least fifty men in the room um they did this nursery song and we did this this uh thing called healthy holding where men were fully clothed and um they would they they would hold each other to be like it's okay um it, it's it's okay you're there you're safe or whatever and it was supposed to heal you of any wounds that you would have and so it was like a way i i i have a hunch and i feel like it's somebody's fantasy that they're living um when when they're doing this holding stuff mm-hmm. uh but I I also think it's just like completely weird and discomforting. Um, I want to like draw attention to that and ask you something you said earlier because when I watched the video, you know, from a distance, not having partake part uh, participated in anything like that. So I'm I'm watching this and I'm thinking about I did an interview last year with a fellow called Mark Green who speaks a lot about issues of like misguided toxic masculinity and the challenge that, you know, men have straight, gay, trans uh, being taught how to be masculine and and how to be masculine is, is definitely an an issue and how boys are separated from each other and taught after a while, they shouldn't have too close of a friendship with other men. And that's why so many men are more lonely than women and all kinds of other things. So I'm, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, interesting that they're using aspects of like male bonding and some some softer aspects of masculinity and yet at the same time you know not that i wouldn't want these men to be able to hug each other but you look at it you think they're all believing or trying to pray the gay away be angry to get the gay away and yet at the same time all of this is happening and it's it's tried to, hard to wrap my brain around what what was going on not not that the best outcome would be to do this therapy and not have any physical contact if you know what i mean i was watching parts of it and it just felt like i was thinking is it just me wishing that this would turn into a bunch of guys getting a boner or is it other people having this kind of experience thinking this is a little too intimate for this kind of uh, a situation and yeah <laughs> that's actually what happened to me oh my gosh okay so, so so i remember this guy uh um for confidentiality reasons i'm not gonna say his name um yeah i so i remember this guy um i still like i remember it to this day just like the awful smell that he smelled and he was mm-hmm. he was like like 
I liked him, but it was just like, I just, he was like, don't mind me if I have a boner. And I'm like, okay. So like, I'm having to force the sip in between his legs and mm-hmm. like, to like be held by somebody. And I just like, mm-hmm. have no idea what to do in situations like that. Like, what do you do? And it's not, not like you can easily leave because you're told, to, you're told by these people that you have to trust them. So, yeah. so trust it, trust them. It will, it works. And so but that's, that's almost the, the that's almost the, the one of the best examples of, of the fault and the overall logic of the whole thing. So this man is having a boner. It just a physiological and emotional response to whether it be pure physical intimacy, and it doesn't matter the sexuality or gender of the person, or because really deep down in his heart of hearts <laughs> that he really wants male physical and possibly even male sexual content con uh intimacy even if he doesn't want a relationship with another man and and i mean you get it i get it i mean mm-hmm. there's there's such a a possibility and fluidity of of physical and emotional relationships that doesn't have to be associated with a single gender right exactly and it's and it's weird that it's it's not weird it's it's awful that people have to like suppress something that is so natural to them. Mm-hmm. so the, thank you for putting it that way because that's exactly what i was noticing in the video if if this were the only argument you know it, and it wouldn't be enough to change those people's minds that are running it but it's so natural yeah why is it why should it be considered abnormal well we know it's religion and but it is so natural Mm-hmm. Well, it's because of hegemony. Uh, it's that top-down approach that the Catholic Church uh, decides via law to see what we should do and what we should not do with our, or with ourselves and our bodies. Mm-hmm. And I feel that hegemony is the is the fight that I'm doing right now, mm-hmm. and it is the reason why that um, things like this exist. You mentioned um, having to use the baseball bat and getting so angry and. And that possibly the the approach at the camp is to try and find a way to blame someone else for your condition, um, which is psychologically it's kind of fascinating just from a purely observational, not saying it's right or wrong and not saying it's a good thing, but it's like, okay, we're not going to really do the work or go too deep, which would really reveal the fact that you can't be ungay, mm-hmm. but instead we're going to use this, you know, corrupt process to make you hate your father and get you so angry into such an emotional state that you will then pattern perhaps anger with a hatred of your father and thus the reason for you being gay which might be the way in which you can suppress your desire yeah it's so backwards to me (laughs) it's like it's like it's like you if you look at this from like a Christianity standpoint, for example, mm-hmm. you're told you're told to love everybody from a Christianity standpoint. However, you su- you supplement your sexuality uh, or your gender identity with hatred, and hatred doesn't really go well with what uh, the Christian Bible says about anything so it's it's like it's like a 
very big contradictory uh, thing of what they're doing and saying. Was it at the camp or was it uh, sometime after that when you had, whether was it an epiphany or realization or an emotional breakdown and you just, what happened after that made you finally get out? It was, uh, it was a long process. Um, it was a long process just because, uh, I had friends that were there that, that were influencing me at the time. And, um, I felt like I didn't re- I didn't really have a lot of friends at that time. And so I would do anything that I could to get friends. And I felt like they made me feel like, like I was family. with them. And so, right. um, because I was infantized from that, uh, that I'll use cuddle thing, the, the mm-hmm. cuddle thing or whatever. Um, it made me feel like, I have to be dependent on these people. So wow, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, it's yeah, it's infantization. That's what it's called. It's infantization. They do that so they so that way mm. that you can be at this this core baby thing that mm. that you're that you're wanting to be, and you're just infantized so that way that they can control. I feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I just, I basically was dependent, if if not codependent on people, um, actually some really abusive people that put me into like a mental spin probably for the rest of my life. It got to the point where it was making me unsafe. It was making my family unsafe. Um, I remember this guy drove, I, I was still living at Belva, Ontario, Canada at the time. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. this guy drove from Heath, Ohio to Belleville, Ontario to try to find me at my house and couldn't find me at my house and went to my mom's house and couldn't find me at my mom's house and went to a sports bar. And this guy was very dangerous to me and it was quite scary. I was actually trying to contact the leadership and the leadership ignored every single words I was saying. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where it was very unsafe for me to go in the group. And so I did not want to be a part of it anymore. And what happened after that? Um, I, I fell into a depression. I, mm. I, I, um, I was trying to do anything that I could to get by. Um, mm-hmm. wanted, I had hopes and I had dreams and I felt like my hopes and my dreams, it was too late for me and I can never do it. And I didn't, I, I didn't have any self-confidence and I didn't feel like anybody like, accepted me for who I was and I didn't feel I didn't feel good about myself and so I and at that time were you still under the belief that you were trying to be straight were you still trying to sort of do the work for yourself or were you changing no um I I um like I did this for an entire 18 months halfway through I didn't really believe it I was just um I I was I was doing that to be accepted by some of the people that were in the group. Okay. And I didn't, and it was, it was kind of awful for me. It's kind of awful for me to say that because like I had to learn how to accept myself first. Yeah. And I, it, it was, it was a process to even do that. And then once I did that, then it's like, 
all of your friends that used to be your friends are no longer your friends anymore. And then they're, they're, there's like this us versus them mentality that mm-hmm. all, all the people that you, you loved or you used to love don't love you back because you don't believe in exactly what they believe in. Which is a, unfortunately, a, an example of what unconditional acceptance is not. Exactly. Right, you will you will be friends if you follow the rules just like we do, so that we can belong to this tribe, this community of of men who believe that they are trying to not be gay or what have you. And but it sounds like such an unwell experience. Like e- even when you watch the video and you, or at least my perceptions of some of the people. Um, the little ways in which things are said, and you know, it's just assuming, reading between the lines, hearing between the words of what people are saying. The guy that was mainly being interviewed, I guess he was like the director of that weekend in the video. Um, oh, Rich? Maybe that's who it is, yeah. Seems to be the most self-aware and self-secure, but you know, I guess he's done such a job on himself to believe that this is who he wants to be, and if that's it, that's fine. But then there are other people where it just looks to me like the right situation and the right moment, and they're going to fall right through those cracks. Mm-hmm. They're either going to realize that this is all nonsense, or they're going to have an emotional breakdown because these these walls aren't well constructed to keep out, or rather to keep in <laughs> what they don't yeah. want to let out. Yeah, it's... um. I know a lot of people in there and um, I see it and sometimes like there's, there's times where I just like keep the, the, the conversation open because I just want to be sure that they're okay. That must be, uh, that must be really difficult trying to not be a part of it, but wanting to make yourself available. Um, I think it's necessary because mm-hmm. if you look at the bigger picture, like mm-hmm. if, if, if we are a community, even mm-hmm. in midst of disagreements, yeah, you're going to have to be there because mm-hmm. like, uh, if you don't, then, the, um, statistically, even statistically, uh, they are more at risk of committing suicide than yeah. people that have not been through first therapy. And so I, I continuously think of situations that could be somebody like somebody that has been involved in conversion therapy would commit suicide. So I just want to be there as much as possible. Through this process, maybe tell us if you can, like how did you find your way out of depression? What were you doing? And then what led you into some of the advocacy work that you're um, currently doing? So I I believe when you talk you talk things out and you properly talk things out and you just emotionally just let it all out, um, you'll be able to feel connected to a point where you can go into the direction you need to go. As for my life, my life uh, wasn't really the greatest. Um, I had horrible roommates. I was uh, I was in and out of homes. Um, I'm in a fantastic home now. Um, it took me a while, but what really changed is uh, Chris. Uh, 
Chris Gudgeon from It Gets Better Canada. I remember we had a conversation at Starbucks and then we went out for a drink. And um, I shared about my conversion therapy story with him. Mm-hmm. And then he took me to the Boy Erase premiere um, in which I met Garrett Conley for the first time in my life, changed forever. Mm-hmm. That's when I started my first CBC interview. And that's when I started my advocacy. I've been seeing things for what it actually is in mm-hmm. this realm. And I went head first. I met a lot of amazing people all across Canada that are wanting to have the same goal to end conversion therapy uh, period uh, with, uh, under the Charter Rights and Freedoms uh, with, with when it comes to advertising and um, going across borders. We want to be sure that people are protected at the end of the day. And so has that been about a, a year or two that you've been doing this sort of work? Yeah, a year and a half. Uh, yeah. I've been doing this a year and a half. I've been doing it pretty strong. I've been um, w- uh, our partner with Community-Based Re- uh, Research Center, BC Center for Disease Control Foundation. I've been partnered mm-hmm. with No Conversion Canada, um, uh, uh, Dr. Christopher Wells from McEwen University. There's a bunch of people that I've been connecting with, and I'm very, very thankful for each and every person. Uh, my researcher, Travis Solway, um, it's absolutely fantastic, and my life has changed for the better. Oh, good. Well, the the current bill that's on the table, the House government bill, um, uh, Bill C-8, an act to amend the criminal code conversion therapy. I'm going to have all the uh, reference notes uh, in the show notes for uh, some in-depth reading about what all these different bills mean but with uh the COVID-19 virus and everything that was uh when was that I guess it was March 8th 8th or March 9th you went to Ottawa and you went to the House of Parliament and you had a, a media scrum and got to meet uh Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, I didn't meet Justin Trudeau, but he, okay. definitely, he definitely tweeted me. <laughs> oh, okay. That's why he tweeted you. I couldn't remember. Yeah. But um, I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I've been preparing for that for a long time. Um, I, um, and it was straight from the heart. I still, I still love these people and um, I don't, I don't wet, wish them any ill will. And um, mm-hmm. even though they're just saying negative things about me, um, it's it's totally fine uh it's it's where they're at mm-hmm. and, but it's interesting the the love and support that they say that they are they're not really being loving and supportive in my opinion maybe just a couple more questions i'm thinking you know i i i saw a few things that you shared in the last while on social media where you know i guess some people were basically attacking you um and it's it's one thing to be attacked for like writing an article like I might do about something. It's you know, and I'll I'll get upset. But I think it's quite another thing, the experience you've had and and everything that that means, um, and how emotionally challenging that is. And I've I've seen some of the things that you've written, and sometimes you've been literally asking for help. What do I do here? Like, what what do you do? How do you? for maybe people that are listening that have, are experiencing similar things, how do you handle this? Um, <laughs> uh, sometimes it's well, sometimes it's not, if I yeah. was to be honest. Um, 
I've learned throughout this entire thing that um there is going to like I from the past two years of what I've seen at the LGBTQ community when it comes to like uh Chick-fil-A uh coming to Toronto and mm-hmm. uh uh fighting off uh Christian or religious bigots. Um, we did, and we do everything in our power to stick together. And so there are times when uh, I'm basically fighting for the rights of LGBTQ2IA people on mm-hmm. a regular basis. And um, I I want at some times for the, L, uh, the LGBTQ2IA people to fight for me back, mm-hmm. um, even though that it's it's uncomfortable and uh it's uh some some of the things that i that i post online could be hard for people to read but i want to be like i want the community to see that this is a real real this is a reality that people are still doing this and they are still having these these hateful things and saying these hateful things Mm -hmm. and they're essentially trying to exploit the wrongs that I'm doing, which Mm -hmm. I haven't been. I'm just expressing what I feel that needs to be expressed. And I feel that this should be gone a long time ago. Yeah. You know, I was just reflecting on one of the things I, I, I picked up my observation from the, um, uh, the video of the, uh, the camp two day weekend. Um, one or two of the participants were talking about their experience. And like you had said, uh, whether it was, blaming parents or having been raped and these are these are complex um experiences that uh, can almost have like and in, and in many cases do a ptsd type effect on individuals that will show up at whatever point in life that it just it comes out for lack of a better double entendre um but for all the language that they use the narrative that they've created as to why they don't want to be gay what you see i see the overall sadness that there is this hegemony as you said that the the patriarchy the status quo that says men grow up to be strong and to get a wife impregnate them and have 2.5 kids and a picket fence and that's exactly what one of the guys says in the video that's what he wants and you think Mm -hmm. you can have that if you want and and what if you could also have an expression of your sexual and potentially emotional desire for another man. And that's, that's the freedom you're working for. That's the freedom of expression I'm working for and talking about. And what's perhaps most nefarious in, in, in my observation of that video is less about the participants that are really uh, espousing this particular weekend but it's more like the interview with like the psychologist. Um, and I think he was in. That's Joseph uh, Nicolosi. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then they kept asking him questions and he kept saying, Oh no, we're not trying to change people. It's like, fuck. Yes, you are. Mm-hmm. You know, you can skirt around the question. You can answer the question in a different way. You can say, we're just asking questions and we're giving out information. But when you pick on someone who is in a weakened emotional state or young or being pressured by their religion and their parents, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to take the advice of someone that they see as an authority figure. Right. 
Right. And so when you're infantized and when you're at that state, you're, mm-hmm. you're having to look up to somebody who is essentially the, the greatest thing because they yeah. were the ones that were there that, that have a really good life. And they changed and all the things that are actually completely unnecessarily and wrong. And there's, they're still doing, they're still essentially doing that to people. There's one thing that I was also wanting to say, just uh, just to just to touch on religion and uh, inflicting on people's uh, religious rights. So, I took an advanced cal- uh, counseling class with uh, my teacher Kathy Waite uh, from Loyalist College. Mm-hmm. There was this one time uh, that there was only four people that were in the class, um, and I was one of those four. When I would do a, a demo session with counseling, I don't necessarily tell people what to think and what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I feel this is really important. I guide the person to what they're already thinking so that way that they can get whatever it is that they need to out. The argument with the other side is, hey, I, I, I'm... Um, I need, I need help, uh, coming out because like, I'm, I'm gay and I don't know what to do. They're like, Oh, we can't counsel you because it's a part, it's a part of our religious freedom. That's not counseling. That is inflicting somebody else's beliefs and or point of view Mm -hmm. to believe in something that they, that they should, should not basically participate in. It's, 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 really abuse and it's 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 wordsmithing with what you heard in the documentary to like yeah to try to like twist things to make it seem like what they're doing is good and mm-hmm. and and true and right but in reality they're harming people they're harming kids they're harming adults they're harming vulnerable people that have been through or that are that are giving them this false sense of hope and mm-hmm. it's so sad so I'll ask you a really what might seem like a very odd question, but what's the best thing that's come out of this experience, this journey of conversion therapy and now being on the other side for you? I am able to tell my story to people, to people that I have never imagined that I would talk to, and they would be able to respond to me and welcome me with open arms and and say that yes what you have experienced is wrong and we are here to like fight with you and for you it's it's a service to me as a canadian as uh, Mm -hmm. somebody that was born in canada and it is a service to people to to queer and trans people all over canada that have experienced something similar to this when I get when I, I when I get into a position where somebody is able able to and are wanting to feel comfortable sharing their story with me, I feel like I did my job because mm. their story matters just as much as my story matters. It is not it is not a contest. We are all in this together and we're all going for the same goal. And so when we work together, we'll be able to make changes. And I'm really happy for that. That's awesome. I mean, essentially, the, the, the reason behind that question is like, 
what's most meaningful, what's most important in your life right now. And from like work that I would do as a coach, you know, that's why I said, it sounds like an odd question because you could say, oh my God, all this suffering and stuff that I did. And it's not to say that you probably don't have your dark days, right? But being able to focus in on what gives you meaning now is what gives you hopefully that hope, that that possibility of more personal evolution and transformation. And, you know, you're, you're well-spoken and eloquent and you are being clearly a voice for... And an open voice, like you said, I was, I did not realize that you were being available to those people that you still stay in contact with who may not be ready to leave conversion therapy or trying to not be gay, but to be open to that, like that, honestly, that takes one hell of a lot of emotional strength um, to, to be open to that, given what you've had to endure. Thank you. I, um, it's, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world and I know exactly the place that I'm in. Yeah. As, as long as they're, as I'm able to listen, um, yeah. and they're, they're wanting to talk to me, yeah. I won't des- necessarily decide what they have to say or yeah. to tell them, but I will be able to guide them in a way that. Let's say someone's listening to this who might be considering conversion therapy, or maybe they're listening to this because they saw the show title and they're not sure if they want to be in it, or it's a friend or a family member of someone who is going in this direction or in it. What sort of advice or what would you suggest or how would that, it's a pretty big question I asked of you. So take it away with whatever you think is the most uh, appropriate uh, response. Well, first and foremost, um, if you have any questions, you can always follow me on Twitter at MattAsh89, or you can uh, friend me on Facebook at uh, Matt Ashcroft. I also have Instagram uh, at MattAsh89 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so reach out to me anytime. Ask me any questions. Uh, if, it's a, if it's an issue with uh, coming out, uh, follow uh on twitter and instagram uh at it gets better canada it it gets better canada is the organization that will definitely help you come out Mm -hmm. um we also uh, we're also partnered with the community-based research center which will be able to um ask you any questions that you need and we'll be able to meet with survivor supports from the bc center of disease control foundation um but most importantly after all, all all the shameless plugs and all the shout outs, talk to somebody that has been through it. Um, mm-hmm. That is the that that is the biggest advice that I that we can give you. Um, there are people that are actively in fighting against conversion therapy that are trying to save people's lives because they know exactly what happens in situations like this. Um, talk to, talk to, talk to us, work out whatever it is that you need to work out and let's be there together. Um, we won't necessarily decide for you what, um, what to do or what not to do, but we will tell you the warnings of what you will experience. And it could, could, uh, drastically hit, take a hit on your mental health forever. So be warned. What would you say is the most, um, important advice 
you could give everyone listening to this right now? Um, be open to conversation. There's a lot of people that ne- doesn't necessarily have to have to go through something similar that I do. Um, that are just wanting to have people to like surround them and make make sure that they're loved. Be open to that because we are a community at the end of the day. And we if we if we continue to treat ourselves treat us uh, and ourselves and each other like community, we'll be able to go into a direction where we can be community together. None of the judgments, none of the stigmas, none of the stereotypes, but love. Mm-hmm. So love more and do better. Well, Matt, I want to thank you. I really have uh, enjoyed this conversation, learned a lot. Fascinating. It's nice to, that always sounds so funny to put it that way. I think just as someone who does a lot of writing and speaking as I talk, sometimes I judge my own words as they come <laughs> out of my mouth. But I mean, it it's empowering is the better word for me to hear like in your tone of voice and your energy and your enthusiasm for the work that you're doing, which is hope and hopeful for for people that are listening to this that you know there is there is light on the other side but it requires as you said love and connection and understanding and respect and listening yes absolutely thank you so much well thank you again yeah i really appreciate you coming on the show thank you